Welcome back to the It's a Mind Game podcast. My name is Jade and today I'm sharing with you a bonus episode. It's a recording Claudia and I did um, on the Recover From HA Facebook group and we're talking about the three common mistakes women make in HA recovery. If you would like to fast forward your HA recovery success, please reach out and send myself or Claudia a DM and we would love to help you get from where you are now to where you want to be. But for now, here's the live. Oh, to all the beautiful women of the Recover from HA support group. Today is Jade and I once again, uh, hashtag HA Dream Team. And we're going to be talking about the common mistakes that we see in women when they try to get their period back. So first of all, welcome Jade. For all of you that don't know her yet, she is the mindset coach of the HA community and of the Period Comeback Protocol. She is a personal trainer and has a long-standing history with eating disorder and hypothalamic amenorrhea. And now she's a mom of a beautiful three years old, almost three. Three next month. Three next month already. Ooh, time to buy birthday presents. So welcome, Jade. So nice to see you here today. How are you? What's going on? It's almost Christmas. Hello, and thank you for having me back on. I always get so excited for any of our conversations, whether it be on the podcast or, or live. It feels like it's been a little while since we've done one of these ones. Um, everything's good. Everything's exciting. The HA community is thriving, which always brings me lots of joy. And for now, just preparing for the festive season in a couple of days, which I honestly can't wait. I love Christmas. Like, I absolutely love it. How about you? I love Christmas as well. So, and plus this year has been particularly cold. And normally it's like 40 degrees at this time of the year. And yesterday was only 15 degrees. So I was wrapping myself with my blanket, cuddling my kids with a Christmas tree on. And it was dark outside. And I thought... It is so beautiful. This is so precious. And I'm looking forward to the panettone and the pavlova when Saturday and Sunday comes along. So really, really excited this year. But I also acknowledge that for so many women out there, this, uh, um, this is a very tricky time. And Jade and I have been doing lots of recording, lots of lives and podcasts on how to manage this time of the year. Um, how to manage the festivities, the comments that come with seeing people that you haven't seen for a long period of time, um, eating different foods, getting out of the routine. So if you need any support, you can reach out to, uh, to myself or Jade, or just please feel free to watch our recordings on my YouTube channel or on the uh, It's a Mind Game podcast with Jade. But for today the common mistakes that we see in women when they're trying to get the period back. Jade, would you like to get started? Yes, and I must say, I really love this topic because it actually creates so much space for success. So by identifying the little things that aren't optimal, you can really accelerate your success. So first of all, if you resonate with any of the things that we say, this is not a you're doing it wrong. This is a like, yes, you have an extra little, uh, what do they call them, knowledge nugget <laughs> to hold on to, to get you one step closer to your desired result. So it's actually, this is a really exciting um, accelerator conversation that we're going to have today. Um, but the first one, and probably one that you would see more often than me, Claudia, would be the decisions made around food. Like we get so enticed into the idea of food fear challenges 
that we kind of forget about all the other food that needs to be consumed throughout the day. So you could wake up one morning and it's and it's quite an intense challenge. Like I'm going to have the muffin for lunch. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to have a cream on my coffee or something like that. But the build up to it is so big and also exciting that you skip breakfast. Perhaps you don't eat anything for a couple of hours after and it's not intentional, but or it, or it could be, it could be actually, but a big part of it is because you're so focused on just that one element of the day, all the rest falls off. And if you were to look at the muffin as an example, it's X amount of calories. And then even if you were to repeat the muffin twice, it could be another X amount of calories that's still not enough to sustain you for a 24 hour period. So even though you've had a victory in one area, there's also space where you could be doing better. What are your thoughts on that, Claudia? I agree with you on so many levels. Uh, the few food challenges are very important, especially during the eating disorder recovery journey, not only hypothalamic amenorrhea, but there are two things that need to be said. said. First of all, it's important to do them when you are guided by someone that can actually help you through this, because just trying a random plate of just trying a random muffin once a month is really not gonna make any difference. And it's gonna, it's not gonna allow you to really challenge your behaviors or change your mindset around the food. And secondly, yes, absolutely be aware of the compensating behaviors. Because as you said very eloquently, it's important to focus on the on the basic and then add the the, the few foods on top of it. So we need to start from a place where we're having the lunch, breakfast, dinner, the snack in the morning, in the afternoon, after dinner, and then the muffin uh, can be welcome during the day or maybe as part of a very nourishing meal or, or as a snack, for example. But sometimes women are so scared of adding in those fear foods that they feel so consumed by anxiety that, as you said, they tend to procrastinate them the next meals or they engage in compensative behaviors. And that could be exercising afterwards, skipping the meals or doing other more extreme behaviors. So which is why I'm a big fan of fear food challenges. But when done in a supportive environment, with a professional that can help you, that can guide you. Um, ideally, also with a community that can support you. And if you're thinking of doing a fearful challenge, just make sure that you actually write a plan on how to tackle it. So instead of thinking, oh, I'm going to have a muffin next week at some stage, just make sure that you know exactly which day is going to be, where you can find the muffin. So that's going to take lots of um overthinking away from the actual situation so if you already know where to get it when to get it so you're not gonna wake up in the morning thinking oh gosh this is muffin day what am I gonna do and then you're gonna end up thinking about the muffin day all day long and also make sure that on that specific day and the day before and after you still engage on those behaviors that are actually helping you to restore your hormones and your mental health meaning have the meals have the snacks take the supplements and absolutely prioritize rest amongst anything else. Um, anything else that you would like to add, Jade, on this specific topic? Um, I was just going to say that's one thing that has been 
consistently shared amongst women that have worked with you is that they actually enjoy having some form of a, a template as to how they should be eating throughout the day and obviously the ingredients on that's flexible like you're very accommodating to where the person's at where they want to be where they're out with their own health circumstances but it can really calm the mind just to have a basic template that then you can get really creative with adding fear foods if you want to or not but so you're not overthinking everything all the time. It's like, all right, this is the base. This is what we're going for. And then it can be tweaked as you go versus having like all these thoughts come in and it's, you don't know where to direct them. So I guess for anyone who's interested on the how your help is so valuable, that's one of the ways it comes through to me all the time is women saying they really appreciate just having a base and then they can build from there. Absolutely. And I had a wonderful conversation with one of the members of the community this morning, and she decided to create a challenge jar. So every single day she's going to get up and she's going to pick one of the, uh, the challenges and she has committed to engage in those challenges. But the reality is that I know that she's going to be successful because she has us on, uh, um, that are going to be supporting her throughout this challenge because challenges, even though they are fun, um, they can bring up lots of emotions and lots of feelings. And as you said, sometimes having a template, it's very important because if you have been uh, dealing with hypothalamic amenorrhea and eating disorder for a long period of time, you may not know what you actually need to restore your health. So having that, um, that opinion, that second opinion, to help you out through this could be very beneficial. And at the same time, having your support, Jade, is paramount because you can have all the few foods that you want, but unless you work on the mindset, unless you work on the beautiful neuroplasticity that we always talk about, when we um, and unless we work on creating new neuropathways, it's going to be really difficult to tackle more challenges in the future or simply let go of deeply ingrained behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. So definitely we have agreed on the first one. Um, make sure that if you decide to, um, to engage in a food challenge, that you do it in a supportive environment with a plan. And first of all, most, um, most of all, don't cheat yourself meaning that fantastic that you had the muffin but what else I remember that uh, I had a client a few months back and she really wanted to have porridge and she got so worked up that she ended up having only that plate of porridge in the old day hmm. that's a clear example of a food challenge that didn't go well and uh, that's when she tried to do it on her own so after we started working together and after she started being part of the community, she learned different tools and mechanisms on how to cope with the anxiety and how to actually handle um, a real food challenge. Mm -hmm. Second things, second mistakes that we normally see. What is it, Jade? Exercise. One of our favorite things, <laughs> but it uh, can make or break us in this scenario. Hey, um, So, of course, you know, Claudia and I both love to encourage movement for as long as possible. And depending on the person, individual circumstances, because as we know, some women can recover while still weightlifting and some women need to just be doing walking and yoga. But I guess the main one that comes to mind when we talk about exercise is this idea that I'm all in, quote unquote, idea of like I've given up my gym membership I'm not going to 
basketball, tennis, squash, netball, whatever sport it is you play, um, I'm taking a step back from doing really intense hikes. Like you, you're reeling it in, right? You want to get your period back. You know what you got to do. And you're committing to just walking in yoga, which we know are really supportive forms of movement during HA recovery and are most often encouraged because they're really good for our physical and mental health. But where the problem lies is when someone, and this happens a lot, like really common where women will come to both of us and go, yeah, but I'm only walking and doing yoga. And then you start to ask some more questions. What kind of walking? Oh, well, I'm still getting my 25,000 steps a day or I'm still getting my 15,000 steps. And those step counts are quite excessive for one. Um, or I'm just doing yoga. It's hit yoga, Bikram yoga for two hours. Sometimes I do a double. And off the cuff, it sounds super basic. I'm only walking and doing yoga. And you go, oh, well, that, that's a really good HA recovery balance of exercise. But then you get into the nitty gritty of it and it's actually not supportive at all. You're actually exerting a lot of energy for both of these methods and your intention's really good, right? I believe that. I believe your intention is good. You told me to do walking and yoga and that's what I'm doing. But the success is in the detail. And if you're making such decisions around exercise and you're finding that your hormone, your hormones aren't changing, your period hasn't occurred, it's that's when you need to dig deeper into those kind of questions around, well, hang on, how supportive is this type of yoga? How supportive is this step count? And is it really creating the space for success that I want? Or is it allowing me to feel the control that I still am holding on to? Yeah. And um, the way that I see it is like having someone that comes to me saying, Claudia, I just want to build a $500,000 business within six months. And I just want to work a couple of hours a day. And then the person comes back to me after a month telling me, I'm really upset because I really want to make the 500,000K, but I haven't made 1,000K yet. And whilst still working two hours a day. So it's basically wanting the two things, but not getting anything in return. I don't know if this, uh, uh, this analogy actually made sense. It made lots of sense in my mind, <laughs> to be honest. But sometimes it's very important to get real, meaning that if your reproductive system is shut, if your blood test results are coming back showing that you currently have hypothalamic amenorrhea, if you're feeling lethargic, if you're always thinking about when is the next time that you're gonna fit, up, fit in an exercise uh, session, mm -hmm. or if you feel um, prompted to go for a walk, if you're almost addicted to walking, if you don't feel complete unless you have exercise, that already rings like a, a red flag to me. Because if you if we look at a person that has never experienced any form of addiction towards exercise and food, some days they do exercise, other days they, they wake up, they don't have the energy, they roll around, they go, they go back to sleep. They don't put the alarm clock every single morning at five o'clock and they drag themselves out of sleep, um, out of the bed to go to a session, even when they work full time during the day or they have children or they have a busy, active um, social life and they don't have a period. Have I made, uh, am I making sense, Jay? Yeah, it's like one that really, if you've got a good relationship with exercise, you want to have the capacity to be spontaneous. 
So Mm -hmm. rather than this, I can't enjoy my day without it. It has to be at this time. It has to be X amount of times a day for X amount of minutes, blah, 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 blah. Instead, it's more of a, oh, look, I've woken up feeling a million bucks. I'm up on time. I'm ready to go. Or, wow, I've woken up. I really don't feel good. I'm going to sit this one out. Maybe I'll go tomorrow. Um, You want to be in a position where you can make your decisions based on how your body's talking to you. And that could even be for a walk. Like you might have already gone for a walk in the morning and go, oh my gosh, I really need to stretch my legs. And then you go for a 10 minute walk, right? And it's not, well, if I if I go for a walk, it has to be 5K. Like that's the rule. Like, no, you went for a walk because you just need to clear your head and it turns out it just takes 10 minutes to clear your head. And it's being in tune with that rather than always having expectations attached to the exercise of choice because that's probably the next biggest piece it's like but if I walk it has to be 10,000 steps and if I if I start weights training it has to be a a one hour session or it's like getting clarity on that and I find it a lot um, in women that might have been competitive athletes or a lot in like bodybuilder athletes as well where because their training regime for their end goal was so intense they apply that same rigidity to their HA recovery. But the reality is you were training that way for a competitive sport. Now you're training in a way that's meant to help you recover your period. They're very different end outcomes. And therefore the strategy is completely different. So if you're applying your comp prep to your HA recovery, they're not transferable when it comes to training. They are transferable when it comes to discipline. As in you saying to yourself, I'm only going to walk if I feel like it. And then you only walk when you feel like it. Or I'm going to eat what Claudia suggests is a really good thing for me to eat this week. And then you actually do it. Like if you're going to transfer things over, it's it's the motivation to do what you say you're going to do. But it is not the execution of training routines. And ultimately, it's always someone's choice, right? So So if you love your exercise routine so incredibly much, absolutely, keep it up. Just do whatever you want. But don't expect your period to come back because Mm -hmm. someone said in the past, doing the same thing, expecting different results, it's madness. So if you want to get your period back, but you're still exercising five days out of seven, and you're still moving your body seven out of seven, if you're relying on uh, fitness trackers, if you're counting your steps, if you always go to this, uh, the session, um, an exercise session at the same time, if you feel guilty, if you feel anxious when you don't go, if you uh, restrict your meals, if you have a rest days, if you don't allow yourself to have rest days, if you exercise when you're in pain, when you're tired, when, uh, um, when you're sick, for example, all of these are red flags. And I'm telling you that you're not exercising from an intuitive point of view and you're not exercising because you love it and you like it and it makes you feel so great. This is just a lie that you're telling yourself. Um, But it's coming from a very addictive, addictive place because if someone exercises when they're sick, that's simply telling me that they cannot calm their brain to a point that they are okay to sit and watch Netflix to recover for like two days straight or three days straight. Mm. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and that's why we have such a big focus on the mindset piece within the community because the reality is it's it's not just stopping these behaviours. For a lot of you listening and like us included, Claudia, we've been there 
is that we feel like exercise is our escape goat or it sets us up for the day or um, it's like a pillar in our daily success. And sometimes, yeah, it can be, but also if you're relying on it so that it's the only way you can be happy, it's the only way you can navigate stress, it's the only way you can feel good about yourself, um, you know, the list goes on forever. I'm sure some of you are relating to what I just said or some of you have got other things popping up where the, some of the mindset comes into it. It's like you, by learning other coping strategies or other tools to moderate your emotions, you are able to release the grip you have on exercise. And I want to say grip purely because that's not meaning you push the exercise away and you never go near it again. Releasing the grip gives you the space to make decisions that serve you best which is, oh, I'm going to the gym or I'm going for a walk because I feel like it. I've got lots of energy. I'm well-fueled, da-da-da-da-da, versus like, oh, my God, today was so stressful. I, I just have to go to the gym. I have to go to the gym. I have to go. Like they're very different. And if you've got the tools, you've got the passive to go, okay, well, do I want to go to the gym because it's honouring where I want to be right now and what I want to do? And is my decision around my workout based on something that's going to help my HA? Because that's another big part. Or am I so... Um, like I have to get to the gym because I don't know how else to navigate what I'm feeling right now. And it's very uncomfortable. Like it's so uncomfortable. I, I just have to go, which is how we can feel. It's very like nervous tension and no one get in my way. Right. But if you experience that overwhelming emotion, that's a very good sign that there's opportunity for you to learn tools so that when you get that way, you now have five options on how to regulate that emotion versus feeling that that's your only one. Yeah. And personally speaking, I don't know about you, Jade, but when I was deep in my HA behaviors, I had a very strict uh, exercise routine that I had to adhere to. Otherwise, I would go absolutely bananas. I didn't know how to handle my emotions. And then if I look at myself, like from mm, today, for example, um, I just wanted to exercise today. I just put it in my calendar today. Claudia is going to exercise for, for a good 40 minutes and had one hour between clients. So I said, that's exactly where, when I'm going to exercise. And I was really excited about it when I decided yesterday. Um, and then the time came and I was really, really packaged to the point of being hungry and all the Christmas gift had to be wrapped. So I made myself a snack. Actually, it was an early lunch. If we look at the, at the size of the snack, and, um, and I started Christmas wrapping, so I don't have to do it tonight. And tonight I will be able to spend the night like speaking with my partner, being with my kids, reading a book, book if I get the opportunity to do so. And I am absolutely over the moon that I prioritize that because it's not that I, I was unmotivated to exercise. I was simply tired. It's the end of the year, lots of working, lots of early mornings, lots of late nights. And my body was simply telling me, take a step back. It's also okay. Your value system is also like come in thriving. It's like you value Christmas being organized. You value time with your family later. And I, I love that example on so many levels because like, as you said, you were so excited to schedule in some exercise and the day come around and you're like, oh, based on the way the day is going to flow, what's my best choice to make me feel good? And that is getting the wrapping, having a snack, finishing off work kids come home you can play with the kids enjoy the kids read a book if there's time left over 
it's been talked about in some of the podcasts about how helpful value systems are and identifying them. And that was just such a perfect example because our past life, let's call it, wouldn't have permitted that because no, you set the time, Claudia, for goodness gracious me, do the exercise. No, if that's all maybe is, I don't care about your nap or time with this. It wouldn't have happened, but you're not functioning on that software anymore. You're functioning on what's most important to me, what makes me thrive. I love that example. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I was joking with a client a couple of days ago and uh, we actually decided to, that we are not going to the Olympics anytime soon. <laughs> not prioritizing exercise, especially when we're feeling tired and we need an extra hour mm. of sleep uh, is actually a really good idea. <laughs> I'm so like, I'm sorry. I just giggled when he said that Olympics because there's sometimes where like, even now I'll catch myself being like, all right, I know you want to train, but it's just not the top priority right now. Cause like, I love training. I do. I love it. But there's times where it just doesn't permit. And that's often what I say to myself. It's like, look, you're not going to the Olympics, like relax, yeah. take a day off. Yeah. And I, at the time that was not a comfortable conversation, but just like there's joy in what is to come. And it's nice to be able to giggle and go, you know what? I've just got other things to do. Do it tomorrow. It's okay. It's completely okay. Versus the alternate reality is try and squeeze everything in. As a result, I enjoy nothing because I'm in such a rush and I'm so stressed out. And the polar opposite was I just make decisions on my values and I laugh at myself. It's great. (laughs) So much more fun. And everyone listening can have that. Yeah. Like yeah. you absolutely can. When Claudia and I aren't saying this stuff to be like, look, like, no, 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 this is all available to you. All of it. All of it. Nothing is out of the table. And spoiler alert, if you don't exercise for one day, your body's not going to notice. If you don't exercise for a week, your body's not going to notice. And so yeah. it's really in our head. Those are lies that we tell ourselves. And sometimes I hear women complaining, but I'm sitting all day. I'm working all day. I'm just sitting all day. Well, guess what humans used to do back in the days? When the sun would start at seven o'clock in the morning, set at four o'clock in the afternoon, they would just sit for a very long amount of time. And especially women, they would sit around the fire. They would be cooking. They would be caring after the children. They were sitting back then. They were just carrying water from A to Z. They would just prepare the, the place where they were, but they wouldn't go to the gym. And I know I don't want to compare what we're doing today to what we were doing 500, 1,000 years ago because it's not comparable on so many levels. But still, we are not meant to move our body um, every single hour when we are awake. That's all I would like mm. to say. And, mm. and those on the, uh, like, training goals sort of things if you actually look at some of the best research allowing time to rest is what allows for your muscles to grow and for your body to recover so if you can even change your mindset on yeah but I sit all day at a desk it's like yeah but if your goal is HR recovery you've got a great job because your body wants to rest your job is giving you space to do that um by the way resting does not mean hiking does not mean going to a 90 minutes yoga session resting definitely doesn't mean running a half marathon um yeah i think that it was just worth mentioning 
And I know that this topic is gonna relate to so many women and um, get real, really to all of you listening, get real with your values and to the actions that you're taking every single day. Mm. And if you have identified a few behaviors that you don't, uh, you dislike at the moment and you need some support, just let us know. And this is going to really connect us beautiful to the last thing that we would like to discuss today. And by the way, there are many common mistakes that we can actually um, talk about. But today we really would like to iron on these three. So mm. what's the last one that we're going to discuss today, Jane? Who you trust for HA recovery. And obviously, Claudia and I are advocates for a support group, whether it be professionally and like a community, friends, family, all that. We are advocates for support 100%. But I think where it's so easy to go wrong in this scenario is when you trust people with like literally a condition that one, they know nothing about. It could have been the first time they've ever heard of it. Um, And that probably would come more in the shape of friends or family. Um, but if I'm going to be a little bit more picky, because it's definitely something I f- considered when asking for help during my HA recovery, was when you're asking for help off practitioners, asking, have they heard of HA? What do they know about it? Have they helped anyone with it? Because everyone listening knows how varied the process can be for someone to get their period back. And if someone's not, the person helping you isn't well-versed in it, it's very easy for them to suggest one sort of cookie cutter method that might not serve you. Where if you've got someone who's well exposed to HA recovery and they've worked with a lot of different women, they're so much more helpful and versatile in the information that they can provide you. Um, So mine comes, I guess, on two tiers is one friends and family. And even though their heart's in the right place by giving advice, really question the merit to what they're saying to you. And second of all, if you are going to invest in other services, make sure that the people you're asking are are well informed about what you're going through right now. What do you think, Claudia? Well, I always um, give the example of my old naturopath and she was very experienced in fertility, but she didn't know anything about HA. She was really focusing on PCOS back, back at that time. She was actually writing a PhD um, on PCOS. And back then I was misdiagnosed with PCOS. So here I am spending a thousand bucks on supplements, which I didn't need. The reality is that I needed someone to help me through the journey, to help me to understand what um, physical restoration meant how to exercise and how to change my thoughts around hypothalamic amenorrhea. So friends and family, fantastic support. And some of the women in the Czech community, they support each other so beautifully by private messages or in the community itself and during the group calls. But once again, there are accountability buddies. So they're not a real support. And at least they know about HA. But if you're talking about your own experience to your boyfriend or husband or male friend, for example, they don't even have a menstrual cycle. How would they know to interpret what you're telling them? Um, Also, friends, family members, they've all been living and thriving into diet culture. Most of the messages that I've heard for all their life, it's really poached into diet culture. 
So it's like a tea bag inside the water. That's how we imagine diet culture. And you're like, like that little tea bag in the middle. Um, so just make sure that you speak with people that really understand what you're going through. And uh, I hear so many women uh, having that strained relationship with their mom because the, the mom have, were brought up in the mm -hmm. 70s and 80s where diet culture was ubiquitous. So always make sure that you speak with the right people and that you decide with whom to share and what. Um, and in regards to professional experience, absolutely. Um, I had this client in April, so she was coming, uh, she was an inpatient and then she was on parental feed. She went to see an endocrinologist and the endocrinologist told her, you're not going to be able to get your period back naturally, so just forget about it. Let's mm. We worked together, she got her period back in four months. And when we started working together, she was still on parental feed. So, and I remember that we had a giggle and we said, just go and ring that endocrinologist <laughs> to F off. Because, just, you know, it's a, not everyone is ready to listen. Not everyone is ready to get out of their way to help you with your journey. So make sure that you find a professional that is certified, that is not based on the recovery journey only on their own personal experience. Just make sure that whoever you're gonna be talking to knows a lot about mindset, knows as well about how to interpret um, your food diary and knows exactly what you're talking about because otherwise, you're gonna always find yourself in the same position of feeling really lonely, misguided and misheard, which is the worst place where to be. Sorry, Claudia, just for anyone who doesn't know, parental feed, what's that? It's the TPN. So it's when, uh, um, when they decide to put a tube inside of you so they can feed you, um, yeah, they can simply feed you and keep you alive. And that's normally, happens with women that present with a severe undernourishment. Which is the client you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So I had something very quickly now that Please. I mentioned undernourishment. Uh, another common mistake, very quickly, is thinking that you need to be undernourished to be suffering from hypothalamic amenorrhea. And out of all the people that we have seen over the past 12 months, only a few of them were on a low BMI and most of mm -hmm. them were in a very healthy BMI. So please just keep that in the back of your mind if you're listening. That's definitely becoming more common because I feel like, a, I'll make it super quick, but I feel like uh, especially when I first started entering in the coaching realm of HA and podcasting and whatnot, um, it was a lot more lower BMI coming through. And a big part of that was there was a lot of shame for women who were in a healthy BMI or upwards to come out and say they have a missing period and they have HA because they felt like they had to look a particular way to have HA. And like that's actually a very positive shift I've seen in the last 12, 18 months where women aren't acting that way anymore. They're like, no, actually I have HA. I've got an energy imbalance. I want to fix it. And they're not prior like placing it on a body shape anymore which I think is incredible because so many women were missing out on the help they need because they thought they had to look a particular way. Um, so that's really powerful. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, and I think that we are getting to the end of this video. It has been a pleasure discussing the three most common mistakes. 
Is there anything else that you would like to add, Jade? No, I think that was a nice juicy chat and I hope all of the ladies watching got something out of it. And as always, we are here to support you in any way, shape or form. 